It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 366 for October 27th, 2013. Sometimes I'm puzzled by Adobe Illustrator, but the Creative Cloud version has some features that designers are going to love. People who've upgraded to Windows 8.1 have generally had success, but some surprising problems may await too. In short circuits, this is definitely the year of the tablet. Facebook allows and then drops a beheading, and a couple of well-known tech writers leave their newspapers. I'm always somewhat at a loss when it comes to describing Adobe Illustrator because it always seems to be needlessly complex and difficult to use. But the latest Creative Cloud version is slowly converting me from a skeptic to a believer, if not yet quite a fan. Adobe has added several new features to this version and each of them strives to make the application more usable. Adobe has added more than three new capabilities to this version, but I'm going to limit this review to just three. Touch type, the ability to synchronize settings between two computers, and the process of creating a new brush from an existing image. Let's start with touch type. This is the new feature that allows users to select one or more letters and then make modifications, such as moving the letter, changing its size, or rotating it. So to try this out, I started with the word FLIP, F-L-I-P. And you'll see screenshots of all this on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Probably easier and more productive to take a look at it than to have me try to describe what I'm doing here. To use the touch type tool, you just type Shift-T when you're using any tool other than the text tool. If you type Shift-T when you're using the text tool, you get a capital T. Or you can just choose it from the text menu. So after selecting the tool, you'll be prompted to select the letter that you want to work with. I decided to work with the I. Now, I I wrote FLIP, F-L-I-P, in all lowercase letters. So the I was a lowercase letter with a dot above it. I started by making the letter larger, then I positioned it lower so that it would align with the bottom of the letter P. Now, I didn't notice at the time, you will if you take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, but I didn't notice at the time, there was too much space between the I and the P as a result of making that change. Then I inverted the I, and at that point I started looking at the P, so I grabbed it and moved it to the left a little bit to fix the spacing problem. Much better. So now I've got FL upside down IP. But maybe I had intended to use the word flap instead of flip. Well, after doing all that to the text, can I still type? As it turns out, yes, I can. I selected the I, typed an A, and suddenly had an upside-down A in place of the upside-down I. But the A is quite a bit wider than the I, so the P actually slipped off the artboard. Another problem with the A is it was inverted, but it was too high. I remember I'd moved the I quite a bit from the baseline, so the A also moved, but it didn't need to be moved, so I had to move it back. So I moved the modified A down so that the bottom, which is now at the top, would align with the tops of the other letters. At least with the tops of the F and the L. The P, of course, being a lowercase letter, is lower than the F and the L. But then I decided, well, maybe I'd really rather have the A red and have it angled a little bit. Well, that's easy enough. 
To rotate the letter, all I had to do was grab the rotate handle and move it a little bit. And to change the color, just select the letter and then change the color. No big deal. But you know that A looks a lot like an E since it's upside down. Eh, the A probably should be more or less right side up, but I still want it angled. And I want the A to overlap the L, but I'd made so many changes by this point that I couldn't overlap the A over the L. But never fear, it's still possible. All you have to do is do what you've always done with Adobe Illustrator, and that's convert the text to shapes. Once you've done that, you break apart the group, and then you can move them wherever you want. Of course, now you can't edit them anymore, which takes away the advantage of the touch type tool. But the thing is, I made most of the changes with the touch type tool and only converted to shapes at the end to make the final changes. And by then, I'd like to think that I probably would have had the word spelled the way I wanted it. You'll see the final example of the flap on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this is probably a really good example of why I'm not hired to design logos. If you decide to use Adobe's Creative Cloud, you can install any or all of the applications on two computers, two Windows machines, two Macs, or one of each. And you might want to ensure that your settings are the same on both machines. That used to mean you had to write down the settings and then take your paper to the other machine and put the settings in on the other machine. That was never any fun. Creative Cloud makes it possible to select one, several, or all of the settings, save them to the cloud, and go to the other computer, and restore the settings to that computer. Wow, that's really simple. That's nice. I like that. And then I tried the feature of making a brush, starting with an image. You can either use an image that you create, or use an image that somebody else has created. I started with one that I created, five horizontal lines of varying widths. Now keep in mind, I'm no designer, and this should be painfully obvious, but I thought I'd see what I could do. So I created this new graphic and then dragged it into the brushes palette, and as if by magic, I have a new brush. I was given an opportunity to select the effect that would be applied to straight lines, inside and outside corners, and the ends of lines. So I did that in the settings panel. You'll see that example on the TechBiter Worldwide website. What I didn't like is the effect that I created for the outside corners. That just looked really ugly to me. So back to the setup dialog box, a couple of more changes, and the final result actually is pretty good. I'm still no designer, but I like what I see here. For most people, the upgrade from Windows 8 to 8.1 is going to be routine, but some people will experience trouble, and for a few, the process has been no fun at all. I thought maybe you'd want to know about some of the things to watch out for. I've upgraded several computers so far, and with one exception, they've all been pretty routine procedures. Those with Windows Surface RT tablets, those are the ones that I think Microsoft never should have built because they run only apps and not any legacy applications, people who own those machines found that installing the upgrade made some of the systems unusable. The problem is actually so severe that Microsoft took two nearly unprecedented steps. First, it apologized for the mistake. Second, it withdrew the Windows 8.1 RT upgrade until the problems can be resolved. For a while, other manufacturers made RT-based tablets too, but everybody else has dropped RT models. By everybody else, I mean Asus, Dell, Lenovo, and Samsung. 
Those companies all still make Windows tablets, but they've all dropped the tablets that run RT. And Microsoft has continued to muddy the tablet waters by introducing new versions of the Surface tablet, the well-regarded standard Windows tablet, and an RT version this week. So, if you have an RT-powered device, you'll just have to wait for the upgrade. If you have a standard Windows 8 machine, your upgrade will probably be without any major problems. But you should still be prepared for an anomaly or two. I first upgraded an older computer that isn't essential, and that process worked just fine. That was back in September. Then I upgraded a desktop and a notebook computer, and those upgrades were problem-free. The final two upgrades, a notebook and a tablet, had to wait until Windows 8.1 was generally available on the 17th. The notebook upgrade appears to have gone pretty much without a problem, but I haven't really completed the analysis. The tablet experienced a couple of problems that turned out to be fairly common. Non-functional drivers and internet connectivity problems from the Metro interface. Let's start with the non-functional drivers. That's probably the most likely problem that updates will experience, and it's usually a fairly quick and easy fix. Following the update, the tablet's disk performance was horrid, network throughput dropped from 15 megabits to about the speed of a fast modem, and videos that once played smoothly were so rough and jerky that they were unusable. Because the tablet had an OEM version of Windows, and because it was still under warranty, I called Acer Support. The technician I spoke with appeared to be located in a very noisy room in India, but responded quickly when I described the problem and confirmed my suspicion that new drivers would probably fix the problem. He provided the URL where I could find the drivers. Most manufacturers provide web-based resources similar to those provided by Acer. A drivers and Manuals button on the main page took me to the right part of the site, but options to enter the tablet's serial number or model number didn't work. Instead, I had to use a series of menus to arrive at the proper location, Windows 8.1 64-bit. The page listed six drivers for the tablet, Realtek Audio Driver, Intel Chipset Driver, Intel Management Engine Driver, Intel Other Drivers, Intel VGA Driver, and a Theros Wireless LAN Driver. These ranged in size from 5 megabytes to nearly 400 megabytes. I downloaded them to a desktop system because the tablet's connection was so slow, copied them to a thumb drive, and then from the thumb drive to the desktop on the tablet. All of the new drivers installed without incident except for the Intel VGA driver. The installation program told me the computer didn't meet minimum specifications for installation, so apparently it's intended for a desktop system with a high-powered graphics device. One wonders, though, why the Acer download process included the file after being told that the device in question was a tablet and not a desktop system. Following installation of the drivers, which required several reboots along the way, most of the tablet's excellent performance returned. Not all of it, though. There are still some problems, and Acer is working on them. In fact, late in the week, I had about an hour-long conversation with a Level 2 technician. Neither one of us found a solution to one of the problems. Although the Lenovo notebook continued to work pretty much as expected following the update, I did find 11 driver updates, and the resulting performance seemed to be a modest improvement. And then there's the no access to Windows stores or apps. 
Every Windows app that I tried to open either crashed or reported that it had no internet access, and the Windows Store app would not open because it also reported no internet access. Legacy applications running on the tablet had no problem with access, so the problem was clearly only on the Metro side of the house. Assuming you've already confirmed that the internet connection is working by connecting to a website through the standard browser, the first thing to check when you can't connect to the Windows Store is the computer's date and time setting. Yeah, the date and time setting. It's the first thing to check, not because it's really the most likely culprit, but because it's easy to check, and if it's wrong, it will cause this problem. If the date or time is wrong on the computer, you can't connect to the Windows Store. Yes, this is something only Microsoft would do. But it's easy to check, and you'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website that explains how. If the date and time are correct, the next step is also easy. Using a browser on the desktop interface, download the app's troubleshooter and run it. If your experience is anything like mine, this is where you'll find the problem, and the app's troubleshooter will fix it, at least temporarily. The problem has intermittently returned, and it appears to be a problem with the new Internet Explorer, that be Internet Explorer 11, that comes as part of the Windows 8.1 upgrade, and it's what provides connectivity for the Metro interface and any applications that run there. The final things to try before calling Microsoft for help are slightly more involved, but really not very difficult. You'll want to clear the store's cache by pressing the Windows key and R to open the Run dialog. Then you type WS Reset and press Enter. Reboot the computer and try the store again. The final and least likely culprit would be problems with a proxy server. To check this, the Windows key and R again to open the Run dialog, then inetcpl.cpl, or inetcpl.cpl. Press Enter, click the Connections tab on the dialog, and then click LAN Settings. If Use a Proxy Server for your LAN is checked, you'll want to uncheck that and then click OK. If there is no box checked, just click OK without making any changes. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website that'll give you more information about the Windows Store, or you can log on to Microsoft's support site. I've got a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to that, and post your questions there. If you do that, be sure to mention all the steps you've already taken, so you won't be asked to do them again. In short circuits, Gartner confirms that 2013 is the year of the tablet. The numbers seem to suggest that tablets are about to sweep regular computers from the face of the planet. Gartner, one of two primary high-tech research firms, has revised its predictions, and the new predictions show tablet sales growing at more than 53% this year, while PCs will decline by more than 11%. Gartner earlier had suggested a 43% hike for tablets, 7% decline for regular computers. There's no question that tablets are selling well, probably because they're new and people who own a notebook and a desktop computer see value in these smaller devices. 
Taking myself as an example, this year I purchased a full-size tablet, one that's about 10 inches across, and a mini tablet, one about 7 inches across. I find both of them to be useful, but for different things. I've also replaced a notebook computer, even though I spend most of my time working on desktop systems. So, a lot of people have bought tablets instead of replacing a notebook or a desktop system. Some of these people will find that they can do everything they need to do with a tablet or some combination of devices that might include tablets and phones. But many will undoubtedly realize when an existing notebook or desktop computer finally expires that it will need to be replaced with a like unit. The most seriously threatened computers now are large desktop systems because today's notebooks are powerful enough to do what desktop systems used to do. I mentioned high-end video, audio, and photo users and their continued need to use desktop systems with lots of storage and big monitors. That, I think, will continue. Many businesses will continue to buy desktop systems simply because they're more cost-effective at least for employees who don't need the portability that notebooks provide. I would expect to see at least a small surge in desktop systems within the next year or two. Most businesses replace their computers every three years. Nonetheless, Gartner's numbers are breathtaking, particularly if you're a manufacturer. As recently as April, Gartner's prediction suggested significantly smaller gains for tablets and not as large a fall-off for desktops. Next year, Gartner says, tablet shipments will continue to rise and desktop sales will continue to fall. The prediction is that next year the desktop sales will exceed tablets by only about 18,000 units, and the smaller tablets are placing pressure both on larger and smaller devices. Instead of smartphones, many buyers will probably opt for 7-inch tablets this year. Android growth continues with 38% of the tablet and smartphone market this year, perhaps 45% next year. Apple's iOS devices are expected to increase a bit from this year's 12% to about 14% next year. Research in motion will drop from about 1% to about 0.8%. Windows-powered tablets and phones will be on pace with Apple's devices. They'll increase from about 14% to 15%. Well, the share for all other types of devices will drop from 35% to 26%. At least, that's what Gartner's crystal ball suggests. This week, Facebook removed a video that showed a woman being beheaded and then promised to modify its guidelines for when to allow gory videos on the site. My only question is, why did it take so long? On Monday, Facebook's PR flag said that the video of a masked man beheading a woman in Mexico would be permitted so long as the content is posted in a manner intended for its users to condemn the acts rather than celebrate them. A day later, following near-universal condemnation, the Facebook flacks were back. They had an update. When we review video content that is reported to us, we will take a more holistic look at content surrounding a violent image or video, they said. You think? Once upon a time, the public relations vice president was expected to advise corporate management to do the right thing, not just to spin the situation to make blue appear to be yellow. 
The PR flack continued, We will consider whether the person posting the content is sharing it responsibly, such as accompanying the video or image with a warning and sharing it with an age-appropriate audience. Okay, is there really an age-appropriate audience for a video of a beheading? Facebook does routinely remove pornography, hate speech, and other content the company considers to be unacceptable. The company now is placing itself to be in a position to judge whether images and video are in the public interest or are being shared for sadistic pleasure. And that's kind of a tough place to be. This was sure a surprise this week. Pogue heads to Yahoo. David Pogue, who's been the most popular New York Times technology reporter for more than a decade, will be leaving the newspaper, moving to Yahoo, where he's going to start a site based on consumer technology. Pogue has been at the newspaper for 13 years. In addition to his column there, he's created many videos for the newspaper's website, and his Pogue's post blog is popular, and it won a Business Journalism Award in 2010. There's also a series of missing manual books. According to Pogue's site on Tumblr, he'll be writing columns and blog posts each week, making goofy videos. But my team and I, he says, will have much bigger plans, too, for all kinds of online and real-world creations. It may be only coincidental, but Walt Mossberg is also leaving the Wall Street Journal. I think he'd been writing about technology since before Alex Bell invented the telephone. He's going to be joining Kara Swisher in creating a company that runs high-tech conferences. Both Pogue and Mossberg have provided interesting and worthwhile insights into a lot of technology issues over the years. Their respective newspapers are going to miss them. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.